Let's begin. O heavenly King, the comfort of the Spirit of Truth, who art ever present and fillest all things, treasure blessings and giver of life, come and abide in us and cleanse us from every impurity and save our souls of good one. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, illumine our hearts, O Master, who lovest mankind with the pure light of thy divine knowledge. Open the eyes of our mind to the understanding of thy gospel teachings. Implant also in us the fear of thy blessed commandments, that trampling down all carnal desires, we may enter upon a spiritual manner of living, both thinking and doing such things as well pleasing unto thee. For thou art the illumination of our souls and bodies of Christ your God, and unto thee do we ascribe glory, together with thy Father, who is from everlasting, and all holy good and life creating spirit, now and ever and unto ages of ages. Amen. <coughs> is anyone familiar with that prayer there at the end, the Illuminar Hearts of Master? <clears throat> Does anyone know where that occurs during the liturgy? You might be wondering, I've never heard that in the liturgy. Before the reading of the gospel. It's before the reading of the gospel. If you see me standing there and I haven't handed the gospel yet to the deacon, that is because I am reading that prayer. I basically kind of, uh, they say in mysticos, which means mystically uh, or silently or my colloquial term is kind of muttering under your breath, basically. If you're in the altar, you're kind of hearing me. You can hear, but you can't always hear exactly what I'm saying. But that is one of the prayers that I commend to you. I think it's in, I thought it was in the Orthodox Study Bible. It's not in the Orthodox Study Bible? It's in the Ancient Faith Prayer Book. Ah, okay. It's that one in Chrysostom's Prayer for the Epistle. Okay. So if you, I highly suggest if you just put, before reading the scriptures, like Orthodox, uh, you can find that prayer, and I suggest reading that prayer. Most prayer books, I think it's in, in the St. Tikhon's prayer book, also has that. So part of the reason, well, some of you weren't here last time. Uh, some folks who were here last time aren't here, but that's also why we're recording this. I haven't decided what channel we're going to put it through on the podcast uh, podcasts yet, <coughs> but I think we might just go ahead and put it on St. Anne's because the, the main one with the sermons and stuff. Uh, so the idea is monthly we're going to gather, we're going to, tonight we're going to go start working on Titus. When I say start working, originally I had in mind uh, sticking on Titus 2, but as I begin just reading Titus over and over and then reading St. John Chrysostom alongside, I thought, you know, part of the reason why I'm wanting to do this is because trying to do adult education with schedules such as they are, are is hard. And a sermon on a Sunday morning can't really accomplish uh, the, I'll say, fulfill the responsibilities that I have as the priest, as the bishop putting me here as the <coughs> priest to help teach. And we can see, has everyone read Titus 1? Because I'm going to do a referring to this and weaving this in and out here. You can already see uh, that as Paul uh, he's putting Titus here in Crete for a reason. And what is that reason that he's put him there for? To hang out and have a good time, drink some Cretan wine? To set order back into the church. To set order into the church. What kind of disorder was going on? The Judaizers. And you have Judaizers, false teachers... You have folks who are basically creating, uh, if you look, uh, you can say schism or heresy, I believe, even in the Greek, uh, you have the, the word for that we uh, get heresy from. 
that you have Paul needing Titus to go and set order. That is, in setting order, that means ordaining, right? Uh, throughout uh, Crete, basically leadership. Uh, and one of the qualifications, I hope we get to the qualifications tonight. Uh, you can see the qualifications of Episcopos or an overseer. One of those and the strong ones of that is that they're able to teach. So in my responsibility of teaching and trying different things here and there, I, I just, I don't know what happened exactly. Something, trying to do a monthly thing and then just teaching. I think it was basically, it was Audrey's small group that then kind of metastasized into a bigger group. Uh, that they were doing a regular monthly meeting and it seemed to have pretty good attendance. That we did something monthly, but then I was actually teaching something uh, that is something that can be kind of a backbone or a, a skeleton to help flesh out uh, small groups or to find some folks who would like to. Now, by small groups, uh, there's all sorts of things that you can do. Mostly, what I'm looking for with small groups is if you want to read a book, that's great. If you want to get together and just have coffee, donuts, talk, like pray, talk about some things, getting to know each other, building up community in the church, uh, that is also great. So one of the things uh, I would like for you all to be thinking about, praying about, is uh, who would like to uh, be able to host something. Uh, for example, like it would be great to have one in Oak Ridge, maybe that, I don't know, met at Panera, I don't know what times, and that would have to be worked out if somebody stepped forward and said, hey, I'll host it. Hosting means maybe you read a book, you just kind of set the tone, you're the one who says, hey, everybody, it's that time, we're going to meet, or we need to change things around, right? It doesn't require some special weight or something. Oh, this is going to be great. Father, we it's going also to discussed last yes. that if you taught on a set of scripture once a month, then we could have small groups to discuss you know, and, and also, if you missed it, since it's going to be online, people could listen to your teaching. That reminded me of growing up Baptist, where my father taught every Wednesday night, and he taught the teachers of all the Sunday school. So on Sunday morning, they'd have the curriculum and everything, but they'd also heard my father teach that section of scripture on Wednesday night. So it was a, it was a way of teaching to the teachers, and then the teachers yeah, out. yeah, we it's can. It's not a bad image. Yeah, I, I think we can try to figure out the exacts as we go through this. But for for now, I'm just trying to get the the rhythm of doing a monthly thing and trying. Part of this on a, in a Sunday morning sermon, I try very often, as much as possible, to stick with a text or the feast or a saint, something around that. But sometimes that means I can't talk about a little bit broader things. Uh, I know I probably preach a little bit longer than other Orthodox priests you might uh, have been used to, and I'm not talking about Father Stephen, I'm just talking about in general. But there's a lot in coming into the church, wanting to be shaped by uh, the church itself, and that's why I'm, partly I'm choosing Titus, because the Titus belongs with other pastoral epistles, like First and Second Timothy, right? And this is Paul instructing and giving a kind of framework for the churches, for leadership, for what the church is like. He's also very practical. So on one hand, I'm wanting to hit with Titus 
just kind of talking about uh, developing an ecclesial mind. And by ecclesial mind, I just mean thinking with the church as we read through scripture. Uh, I think sometimes a lot of presentations of orthodoxy or explanations of orthodoxy that float around are, they're not typically like knee deep or neck deep in scripture. They assume things and then they kind of talk out here and kind of assume that everybody <clears throat> is familiar with scripture. But what I have found is a lot of people, even if they grew up Christian, aren't actually very familiar with scripture. Uh, they'll hear a thing here or there. They might know John 3.16 or they maybe know some parables, right? Uh, but something like the, the pastoral epistles, like who has read Titus before? All right, we have an above average group here. Yeah. <laughs> Ask but, me how long again it's been. How long? It, right. So there's that. So I mean, this so this is one of the challenges that I discovered when I became Orthodox because I came into Orthodoxy and I'd already been on a, a, a journey of struggling with Scripture itself. Like, what do I do with this? I was taught a certain particular way. I'm introduced to other ways in college, and then other ways beyond that. Like, do I do a feminist lens? Do I do a liberation lens? Do I do a reformed lens? Do I do a, I don't know, ancient Mayan take on, I don't know. <laughs> Bible as literature, Bible as, I don't know. So in coming into the church, there's a lot of books that you can read, right? Uh, and I read a lot of Orthodox books. And a lot of them assume scripture, they talk about scripture, but they weren't, like getting into the nitty gritty, they're kind of talking in high theological, like big theme issues. And it took a while for me to get back around to just like, like uh, John Zizoulis or Vladimir Lossky, if you know who these names are, they don't talk about Titus, <laughs> right? They're talking about like theosis, mystical theology, Trinitarian theology, but like post-19th century developments and ecumenical conversation, like just stuff that, okay, that's great if that's what you have the responsibility for, but most of us have the responsibility of ourselves, uh, our homes, uh, our, our local community, right? Not ecumenical dialogue that's happening in, you know, some terrace in Italy. So what we, that does happen, uh, <laughs> but part of setting up this with men and for women, and we're already doing with this with the teens, we're doing the Sermon on the Mount, which I've found to be, I think, very uh, enlightening, enlivening, interesting, digging into that text with them to, because as soon as you start digging into anywhere in scripture, it just kind of, and you see how it's all interconnected and hangs together. So part of delving into specifically text of scripture is so that we can grow in knowledge of scripture, so that I can also be able, because there's something about being able to interpret and do kind of table talk around talking about scripture that also sets, sets an example for how we read and interpret and engage with scripture. So, for example, I'll do some of the heavy lifting of reading St. John Chrysostom in Victorian translation for you and try to bring gems out of that for you, right? Trying to maintain uh, Titus within Paul, Titus within the canonical broader context, how Titus, like the pastoral epistles, are some of the groundwork for uh, the canonical literature of the early church, where if you've heard of church canons, uh, 
that you already see the church having to figure out how to form itself, how to govern itself, uh, how to discipline, how to like all sorts of stuff. You see it already with Paul in the, especially here in the pastoral epistles. Part of the reason why I chose Titus specifically is because Titus is short, <laughs> right? The first and second Timothy are a little bit longer. Titus is a little bit more succinct and we can uh, dive in. Let's see here. Any questions so far? Yes. Um, is, is, is this where you first start seeing the separation of bishop and presbyter? Bishop and priest because of the home churches at the time and what was going on and how you were having all these home churches do things <coughs> and you had to start separating out bishops and actual priests and how they would lay out the future structure and hierarchy of the church. Yeah, so what you, what you have in scripture, and there's a few, even in orthodoxy, there's some, it's assumed the three, I'll say uh, three orders, I almost said three levels, that's not a very good word to use, three orders of bishop, priest, and deacon. Uh, and then there's minor orders. But when you get... Uh, to a text like this, because you have Paul as an apostle who has apostolic authority to ordain, right? He's laying on hands. You see this in the book of Acts where uh, he is telling them this, is especially this is the reading from the book of Acts that comes up in the, on the Sundays where remember the ecumenical councils where he is ordaining elders uh, to basically keep care of the flock and that wolves are going to come from within to tear up the flock, which we see here in Titus, right? Uh, so there is some, a little bit of ambivalence about uh, bishop and priest, and partly it's because the bishop basically is an, I don't want to say archpriest, but he's basically the, uh, the high priest. He is the one who St. Ignatius would say he stands uh, in the liturgical ceremony, right, in the, in the liturgy, he stands as an icon for Christ. The priests stand as icons for the seraphs. Uh, you have... Uh, within the early church, you have the one who presides at uh, the liturgy, right? Like uh, whoever is presiding is the one who is going to actually call down the Holy Spirit. That is the one who's standing in front of the altar, right? Uh, the protos, the first. Uh, when the bishop comes, the bishop is always going to serving protos, right? Because he's the bishop. So you have already an understanding, even if you have that it gets a little bit delineated clearer over time. There's still this idea. I mean, you see this with, with Titus, right? What is Titus <coughs> supposed to go around and do? He's supposed to ordain episcopo, episcopoi, right? Like, so he's ordaining overseers, but they basically are priests, right? Whether or not uh, I'd have to look into the specifics because we have history of like Titus is the first bishop of Crete, and right? Uh, but I have to look in the very specifics of it, but you have this understanding of bishop, priest, and deacon. And bishop and priest share uh, many of the same charisms, except a bishop can do, do you guys, what can a bishop do that a priest cannot, that he has the authority to do? Ordain. Ordain, so that's one. What? Is it oil? Make holy chrism, mer. What else is there? 
new a, a, a new parish oh, in our consecrated Lewis. temple. Yeah, consecrating consecrated temple. So he had right. So he has authority, but his authority is because he's he deputizes me to be here. So he is the, basically the one who's over things. So a, a bishop is the one who can actually transmit the priesthood. Who can actually ordain priests. He can prepare, bless, and distribute holy myrrh. He can consecrate churches, and he can bless and consecrate antimensians. Does everybody know what an antimension is? No. Do you know that thing that I unfold gradually through the liturgy? <clears throat> that is an antimension. Uh, it basically means instead of a table. Well, it, it basically uh, is what uh, is the signed uh, from the bishop uh, that gives me the authority to be able to, if we don't have that, I can't do liturgy. And it's literally signed. Yes, it is literally, literally signed. signed. Do you know what's on the intimentian? See, like this, this is part of the reason why we're doing this. <laughs> we're not even specifically talking about the text of Titus yet, but what? What is on the Antimentian? Yes, Jesus is on. That's probably a good answer throughout this. <laughs> I always say Jesus. That's why that's good answer. That's what the, the teens decided at the Sermon on the Mount. You don't know the answer. Mackenzie wrote that on an answer on her test one time. I don't know, but Jesus. She got it right. Some of the old, uh, older ortho folks. I don't mean by age. I mean time in the ch- time spent in church. <laughs> There's something it's so it's the image. It's the image of uh, the crucifixion or the burial. The deposition. deposition. So it is uh, the taking down from the cross. So you have. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Wrong station. So when I'm sure you've wondered because you maybe have seen me or maybe not. As right after the great entrance, I will put the uh, chalice down, I'll take the discos, and you can probably see my mouth moving. And I'm saying, the noble Joseph, had taken down the most pure body from a tree, wrapped it in fine linen, anointed with spices, and placed it in a new tomb. So there's all of this, uh, there is an image of the altar is also Holy Saturday. <clears throat> all year going on on the altar with the antimension of the, the deposition, uh, where you get Holy Friday, Holy Saturday, and resurrection kind of all there on the altar and I can only serve the liturgy because the bishop has signed it so that authority Jeff, that Jeff, Jeff's point though wasn't true. what was Jeff's point what did you say about the antimension there's something sewn into it oh yes thank you another dimension what, what is sewn into it <coughs> there's relics there's always relics sewn into antimension why is there relics sewn into the antimension weren't all churches originally built on relics so yes, early altars and gatherings of uh, of the assembly of the saints. You especially see this in if you read a lot of John Chrysostom, especially his like baptismal instructions, his homilies to martyrs. They're going out to the tombs of the martyrs to celebrate the Eucharist, and he's preaching about martyrdom and the example of the martyrs. And he's like, "See, <laughs> these died." in witness to the resurrection, especially uh, the baptismal instructions, is after they've been brought into the church, after Pascha, they go out into the graveyard, and they and he's preaching about the martyrs, and he's pointing here, these are the martyrs, right? This is the life that you have joined yourself to. And that's pretty... <coughs> Chrysostom is always sobering, but that's a pretty sobering <laughs> place to have a sermon like that. Yeah, Brett? Who do we have sold I would have to ask Syosset. Syosset is uh, central administration. 
because everything, uh, at least for the OCA, uh, for example, our intervention still has the signature of Archbishop Dimitri, which is probably something that I need to ask Archbishop Alexander, but then we have to ask uh, basically central administration. Central administration makes it sound almost Soviet. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it's just where the, the national headquarters, basically, where the metropolitan used to reside, but now everything is kind of in transition as they're trying to actually get everything around Washington, D.C., which is where he is, the metropolitan of Washington. Um, because they're the ones who basically burn the Antimensians, take the relics out, uh, and then basically they'll do kind of mass consecrations of Antimensians, Antimensia, and have them for times when they need to send it to a new mission. So for example, the camp out that is happening, is that happening like this upcoming weekend? Next weekend. Father Stephen is going to go and preside. Uh, he, while he was down, he was just in Greenville for the Feast of the Cross, he uh, got an extra Antimensia because if he went, he, he couldn't celebrate the liturgy. So why the, the relics uh, in the Antimensia is also because all altars, once you have a fully consecrated church, this is not a fully consecrated church, um, as in it hasn't been consecrated, you would basically, with the altar, you would seal relics inside of the altar. You would then baptize the altar. That means water, uh, you would chrismate, like you basically baptize and chrismate not only the altar, but the whole church. Obviously not baptizing chrismate in the same way as you and I, but it's sacramentally saying like this is sealed uh, with baptismal water. This is then, uh, you have all these prayers. For one time, maybe in months from now, maybe a year or two, <laughs> we can maybe go over just the rite of the consecration of a church. Uh, maybe close to when we try to consecrate I was going to say, this is, this is why we can even contemplate moving. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so you can see all, all of this reverberating. and A priest can't do that. Like the bishop comes to be able to do that. Uh, but you can see all the layers here of how this is all, how should I say this, mutually enforcing each other and emphasizing the point of like, we are going to commemorate Christ's death, burial, and resurrection over the relics of the martyrs. And we do that to this day. This is also the thing about orthodoxy is too, is like you get an understanding that's like, I'll say Wikipedia level, and then over time, you start getting more and more, and there's things that you see happening all the time, but you don't even know what's happening because, like, I don't even really think sometimes about the relics that are there because I open it and I use it, but there's relics sewn on the altar. When you receive Holy Communion, you are part of the communion of saints. So when you see a picture of an Orthodox military chapel in a war zone with a small table, He's got an intimation with the signature he, he of a bishop. He went out on there it. in his backpack with, yeah, you know, with something from the bishop, to spread over that little table. Yep. Strange question, but I've this is the place to ask a strange question. <laughs> the, the relics are they like completely covered in the cloth, so you don't like oh, you don't so know. They are like they're sealed in wax, oh. and then they're okay. sewn in. Okay. So they are they are wax is basically what it is. So, for example, if we had a fire, if there was an issue with this building, one of the things that would be my responsibility is I would need to come in here. I mean, I think the bishop would understand if it was like raging fire. I'm not going to. But this is kind of like, remember when Notre Dame, when yeah. things were going, they, he ran in to save things. So, like, if there was an issue, like, say we had 
a black mold issue that we had to get out of here, I would permanently take out of here, or like in a war zone in Ukraine, mm -hmm. uh, the priest would basically, the bishop would tell every, like all the priests, take the holy things out of the altar. The pre-consecrated body and blood that's there for those who are sick, but all those things. Is the relic actually visible? Uh, I guess that's what I'm, I'm wondering. No, all you can see is basically wax. Okay. I was just, I was just and then it's sewn in. It's almost like a little pocket where you have wax, oh. and it's put inside like a little pouch that's sewn okay. shut. So it's kind of like you can feel it in there. Mm -hmm. yeah. And why is this church fully consecrated? Because this isn't yet a full church church in the sense it needs to be a fully dedicated church that's ready to be the church for a long time. They don't. This wasn't a permanent. Because yes. it's never the intention. It needs to be a permanent. It's going to be a church. Yeah. Only going to be a church. Yep. And that's it. So part of the, the focus on scripture is knowledge of scripture. This is something that came up in the Ecos, uh, one of the hymns from uh, the Feast for the Vigil of the Exaltation of the Cross, where I, it made me laugh a little bit because it was kind of a poke uh, from the author of the Ecos that says, uh, basically, I know you read scripture a lot, so you know when I'm quoting Paul here. That's my gloss on it. But there is, Orthodox services assume that we know scripture. It doesn't really just kind of like put it out there and then kind of walk you through it, right? It assumes that you are reading scripture, that you know scripture, uh, because the early church, uh, this all came out of the experience of the early church, where they were soaked in scripture, they would have been doing this on a regular basis. Chrysostom, the reason why we have so much of Chrysostom is he basically did like verse by verse commentary. Yes, this is an orthodox thing too, to just go verse by verse, and he would do series uh, of sermons. Uh, Sunday to Sunday or Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday where he's just basically just preaching and teaching and they recorded things, right? So uh, one of the things that he says about scripture uh, is, this is from uh, his introduction to Romans. From the ignorance of scripture, countless evils have arisen. From this it is that the plague of heresies has broken out. From this it is that there are negligent lives from this there are labors without advantage. For as men deprived of this daylight would not walk aright, so they that look not to the gleaming of the Holy Scriptures must be frequently and constantly sinning, and that they are walking in the worst darkness. Scripture is the path to know who God is, know how God desires us to live, and it's because, uh, I don't know about you guys, but... I daily forget what I'm supposed to be doing with myself. <laughs> I don't mean that in like a probably need to be institutionalized. I mean, <laughs> I mean there's father wandering in the woods. <laughs> this isn't Loris, if anyone. <laughs> but that, you know, I get up in the morning, you know, if I remember to say my prayers or it's time to get the kids up, right? You just. And then you're halfway through your day and you're like, how much, how much anger has coursed through my veins? How much like lust has come into my heart? How much uh, just wasting time? I mean, all these things when, you know, I could have started my day or just with a verse from the song, just something to always remind myself because otherwise uh, I also think, other, let me finish my thought, otherwise 
uh, we're just floating around. I also think that the plague of heresies has broken out from uh, neglect of scripture. One of the things that I regularly see, and this is also in the Orthodox world, is folks who will grab on to certain things or ideas or uh, au courant, things that are very popular right now, and think, oh, this is fine. But if they just had a basic knowledge of scripture, they would just know, no, that this is, it's not, and there's not even the attempt to try and justify some of those things even through wrestling with scripture. It's just kind of, well, this is what it means to love or accept, and therefore that's it. Instead of like, no, I need to actually know what this is, what it says. So a lot of us are converts to orthodoxy and from various paths, and some of us will have a little bit of different experiences with scripture. So I'm hoping that some of this helps to break you back into scripture if you have taken a long hiatus from it or introduce you for the first time uh, to drag you in drag you in is not the right thing I want to say <laughs> to entice you in to uh, being able to read scripture and not just say I don't understand what's going on here or you know this is tough or I don't know why I would need to read it because I can say my prayers and go to church but none of the fathers assume that <laughs> right? they're saying you need to read scripture read scripture read scripture right in the early church, the catechumen, it was something like three years. And the point where we say catechumens depart, that was when the catechumens left with their catechists, and they spent three years reading the Old Testament. And so by the time that they were baptized and chrismated, they knew all of the Old Testament stories. They had a really good knowledge of the Psalms. They, they had three years of study before they came into the church. Um, they didn't even know about communion. That was something that was, you know, at least I will not speak of my mysteries. Um, it, it's because in the early church, nobody knew about that until when they were baptized, and then they found out what the rest of liturgy was from catechumens depart. So uh, even communion itself was something that was not, which is also uh, some of the rumors about, oh, those Christians, yeah. they're, they're practicing cannibalism. <laughs> Uh, it was sort of word about the Eucharist that kind of leaked out around the edges, and people thought that we were eating bodies and drinking blood. Um, but no one could just walk in and see what Christians were actually doing during liturgy. So, I think Chrysostom, I know I'll screw it up, but doesn't go as far as to say that if you're, even at that time when he was preaching his congregation, they didn't have all of the scriptures, even the scriptures that they did have, that he went as far as to say that you're either you're not participating in your salvation or you won't see salvation if you're not reading the scriptures, if you're not delving into them a lot. And that's that sounds like Chris is, I mean, they had scripture. So one of the things that he would recommend regularly is for families to go home on a Sunday after they heard the scriptures uh, and talk about the sermon. Uh, now, Chrysostom, with that, that advice, I'm sure they'd have to say, okay, there was three sermons today. Because Chrysostom <laughs> gave this sermon and then this sermon, and then at the end, he just kind of went on a harangue about something. Because that's typical Chrysostom. Uh, sometimes I just like to find where the harangue begins, because the harangue, I, I'm going to share some, Chrysostom can be funny. Uh, I'm going to share a little bit of Chrysostom where he gets funny here. Uh, but yeah, he, he would say, basically, 
to you need to save your shekels. Uh, that's not he wouldn't say shekels, but save your shekels so that you can buy pay a scribe to get the Gospel of Matthew for you. Because we are blessed. Yeah, this right? is pre printing press. Yeah, this is way before printing press, right? So Walmart didn't have a Bible section. <laughs> <laughs> so let's delve into uh, the text. I I knew that we we're we're gonna get a few verses in and that's just what we're gonna do. That's how we're gonna roll. Uh, would somebody read the first three actually, let's see here. Somebody read the first one through nine. Go ahead, Logan. Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life which God, not lost, has promised before time began, but has in due time manifested his word through preaching was committed to me according to the commandment of God our Savior, to Titus, a true son in our common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, and faithful children not accused of dissipation or insubordination. For a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled, holding back the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able, by sound doctrine, both to exhort and convict those who contradict. Does somebody else have a different version than New King James? Or has most everybody got New King James? ESV. Wasn't that New ESV? What does it say? Paul, a servant. A servant. What is the Greek? Slave. So, right off the bat, this is very typical Paul, right? This is a typical epistle introduction, right? This is who I am. This is why I'm writing. But Paul likes to have very fat introductions. This is a pretty skinny introduction, but he usually loves to go. Like, you can just see the comments. (laughs) Paul, a da 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 comma, that da 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 comma, and then you start going, what is he saying? So what's great about Bible study, because I think, I don't know how about how most of you, when you're reading scripture, my, my first suggestion reading scripture was something like Titus, especially when it's short, but even bigger books, sit down and just read it through once. If you can't read it through once, then like divide it up, Right. Because we have a tendency, we want to like go two verses in and then we hyper fixate on a word or we're like trying to figure out the sentence structure and we lose the forest for the tree, right? So one of my, this is advice for reading anything really, but especially with scripture, read the whole thing. Maybe jot down things that jump out at you. Uh, outline themes that you see because sometimes what I countered growing up especially is somebody would fixate on some passage at the end of, like, say, First Timothy and completely forget about the rest of the context of the book. And so their interpretation of uh, this doesn't actually seem to represent what the rest of the text says, okay? So, slave. Why, why is that? That's jarring. 
what does it what does it mean obviously to be a slave? It means they have not rights for sure. They're not your own. You don't have rights. Paul is a slave to God. This is something. Uh, this language of slavery. That's not just Paul. Uh, throughout the New Testament, there is the use of slave. Right, that I'm the, the slave of such and such. Paul loves to use this, not just in re- reference to himself, but in Romans. Right, he talks about. You, uh, it's, I, I mentioned Bob Dylan. Didn't the teens? Mm-hmm. You got to serve somebody. Uh, which is obviously Romans uh, inflected because this was his Christian period uh, where you're either going to serve sin and death or you're going to serve you're, you're going to be enslaved not sir <laughs> to make it stronger uh, you're going to be a slave to sin or death or you're going to be a slave to God there you, you don't really there's not a third choice <laughs> you don't get to opt out you're a slave to somebody so who are you going to serve who are you going to be a slave to Paul is, of course, a slave uh, in the same way. If you think of the Old Testament, slave was actually used for some of the patriarchs. Abraham was referred to as a slave of God. Moses was referred to as a slave of God. David was referred to as a slave of God. So there's uh, another little uh, tidbit here, too, is as we read the New Testament, I think most of us, if you were to pick up the Bible and read something, what do you pick up and read? Typically. The book of Revelation. <laughs> All right. Depending, a psalm. I was going to say A psalm, a psalm right? Does, does somebody pick up like Second Kings? First <laughs> the Judges. Those historical books are awesome, actually. Yes. So what, one of the things that the New Testament, and I think we especially forget this, there's so much assumption that you know the Old Testament scripture. And not just in a kind of cursory way, like I've heard of Abraham. Uh, didn't he get his name changed? You know, like small, detailed, textual things, like that Abraham was a slave of God, that Moses was a slave of God, to hear these echoes. Uh, part of the beauty of Scripture as you delve into Scripture is that Scripture uh, becomes, and the fathers talk like this, Scripture is, is fun. It's like a puzzle or like a divine, uh, not puzzle as in like, but it's something that God gives us to work on. To, yeah, like a treasure hunt. Thank you. That is what I was wanting to find. Yeah. That there is, as you wipe away layers or discover things and you see connections, that's why there are times, even with the feasts, this, it operates on this level with the feasts of the church and the vigil. From the canon for the Feast of the Exaltation of the Cross, the amount, I, I need to go back because there's a reference in the canon to Jacob having his hands uh, like over his sons and there's his something, grandsons. yeah, his blessing, his grandsons. blessing his grandsons and the sign of a cross. And I'm like, Wait, what? I've got to go back and look at that. So is that, so here's another thing. Is that the Septuagint? No, no, that's or no, is that's, it the Masoretic? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's in there. It's in there. It's in there. See, because but, he crosses his hands right over left, and at the time they're like, "Whoa, whoa, wait, wait, you're getting it wrong." He's like, "No, I know what I'm doing." All right, so <laughs> thank you. Yeah. The one that got me was about the axe that went into the stream. That's right. That's when I had water. Yeah. I'm like, what is that about? <laughs> yeah. So there you go. There's your treasure hunt to go on. What's the axe? <laughs> that's what I taught about on Tuesday. It was all the mentions of the cross in the canon. 
So you you've boned up on your your research there. There you go. Good. Yeah. Well, of course, the other thing is that he's speaking to a culture in which slavery is right there. Yeah. And also, when we hear the word slave, the first thing we think of is race. They would have heard status within society, and there are different ways you became a slave. Forgot how to slave. You might have not have been a slave, and then you became a slave, and you you know all these you were conquered or you were you know. Yeah. So I mean, an entire system of life looms up with so, that word. Yeah, so with when you hit a word like this, this could be your meditation for the entire day, mm-hmm. right? Who, who am I enslaved to? Who am I supposed to be enslaved to? Uh, what do I consider? Do I consider my master or do I just consider my belly or mm-hmm. uh, my other master or, you know, that this is something that the study of scripture, and I think the fathers are especially strong on this, there's a tendency, especially, I'll just say modern tendency for us, when we go through texts like this, we're just trying to find, and this is especially in Bible commentaries, where you just are trying to find what the meaning of a word is, and it becomes this big intellectual game, and then you're like, but such and such, and such and such, and blah, 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 such, like this academic game. Uh, and then I've been in Bible studies where it almost like it seems like an academic game where we're just like arguing about like the meanings and the is that a what is the aorist uh, verb like all this and it's just like uh, that is fine that's not bad but for us when we study scripture one of the main things is we're encountering Christ right so when we're reading these things even just hitting the first verse that Paul calls himself a slave and then an apostle of Jesus Christ. So who am I enslaved to? Uh, What does it mean for me uh, to be serving somebody? And then also in what ways, obviously we're not apostles in the way that like Paul is an apostle, right? One born out of due time, like the apostolic ministry is handed on in the teaching of the church to bishops. They have a particular apostolic ministry, but all of us share an apostolic ministry, right? Because what does Apollo? Uh, what does an apostle? What does the Greek mean for apostle? Someone who's sent a, a messenger, right? Like, aren't we all sent? We're all to be apostles in our own way. We don't have the authority of an apostle, but we have apostolic life that has been given to us and responsibility. This is why Paul is a slave and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Because of, as verse 1 tells us, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness. So can somebody help pick apart that? We will now spend the next year discussing the <laughs> <laughs> That actually, com- in commentaries, that pops up. As like and a, actually, before we move on... To argue <laughs> before we move on, Father, I, I, you're... you're discussion of the differentiation between just playing an intellectual game in scripture and you know looking for these connections and whatnot but how, how do we know when we're when we're approaching scripture and we just end up playing this intellectual game with ourselves and how do we know when we're approaching scripture and we are actually delving into something deeper does it bring you to amazement or to confession or is it something you think oh wow that's so cool and you stop right there mm-hmm. By your fruit, you will know them. I think, what is the fruit? What does it bear? Does the reading of scripture just bring... So, again, it's not that knowledge is bad, but 
we need knowledge, right? Knowledge is like the, the skeleton upon which the flesh is going to rest. I'm going to keep using this metaphor, I guess. <laughs> it's the foundation to where uh, you have to know Christ. You have to, and it helps in studying to be able to know, like, uh, I, and study, I have found things where I'm like, oh, I am, I'm guilty of this particular sin and the way that they just articulate it just nailed me. So the question is, I think where Jim was going is like, I've been nailed. Okay, <laughs> now what? <laughs> what do I do? Like, duly noted. Now I have, like, this is a particular propensity of mine. And then that's it. Or does it actually drive to something where I am uh, attending to it, that I am bringing it in prayer to God? Uh, I would probably say in studying of scripture, if you spend, you know, 10, 15 minutes reading scripture, that you're spending at least 10 or 15 minutes praying in a specific dedicated way. Does, do the fathers have suggestions um, about where and how we read the scripture in our icon corners? You know, I think a lot of us are very used, especially if you're a convert, there's a sort of casual nature with scripture reading. You know, you're... Uh, wherever you're, and I, I certainly think there's nothing wrong, obviously, reading the scripture wherever you're at, but the sort of disposition. So you mean when I read scripture in Panera this morning, that was well, out of bounds? No. Should I should have incense and Greek chant in the background? <laughs> if you were in the Oak Ridge Panera, you probably <laughs> But you always smell like incense. <laughs> That's because I wear the same thing every time. Uh, but I was just thinking in terms of disposition and how to prepare ourselves. I mean, obviously, there's the prayers, but um, what your thoughts? Not are. treat it like every other book. Yeah. So, on one level, the fathers assume a lot that you are hearing this in the gathered assembly. So there is private prayer rule and private. I mean, sorry, reading of scripture. Uh, but it is always something that is related to the broad, broader ecclesial experience. The fathers talk a lot about spiritual reading, period. And that is one of the paths towards uh, gaining compunction, being able to be convicted of something. Uh, also, in some ways, and this sounds kind of like negative, but like as a time filler, not in a negative sense, but like instead of reading the stats about the recent baseball game, which there's nothing per se wrong with that. Like, you could... Or playing Sudoku. Or playing Sudoku or whatever the new thing... There is something wrong with that. (laughs) (laughs) But that you would actually spend your time reading some Chrysostom or reading some Theophon the Recluse or some Psalms or something that actually feeds you. Uh, Again, things need to be done with discernment uh, but yeah, they, they assume uh, an ecclesial context so that there is that one of the things I, I would suggest this, I don't know if you realize this or, or not, but when Paul tells Timothy to uh, give himself over to the reading of scripture uh, he really means the public reading of scripture he doesn't mean sitting and doing this uh, has anyone, have, I'm sure a few of you have read Confession, uh, St. Augustine's Confessions, right? What is he amazed by with Ambrose? He read silently. Yeah, because people didn't do that, right? They didn't read privately 
they actually, and there's something about the act of reading something aloud and hearing it kind of the same way there is about confessing aloud <laughs> your sins, that there's something about owning that in a way, instead of just like an internal thing that then can just kind of get put on the back shelf, but like owning that. So I would even recommend, you know, you might want to tell your wife, <laughs> you're, you're going to be reading scripture aloud in your, in the room or something, or, you know, uh, off in your, I'll say closet, wherever you do your prayers or wherever you get some time to yourself, maybe like the carport for me, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that you might just read it aloud because it also brings scripture to alive in a way that I think gives itself over better to a kind of uh, hearing it and encountering it as something that you're participating in instead of just something internal and interior to yourself. I hope I, I'm kind of hitting a lot of different no, things. Yeah. The, the fathers don't don't give directions. I'm sure if, if you were... Uh, brand new to the monastery and you asked one of the elders there like the abbot how should I read scripture he might tell you like do part of your prayer rule do like 10 prostrations read a chapter of scripture do 10 prostrations right do a Hail Mary <laughs> go back and read another chapter or something so they would might give you the advice to interweave uh, into that it's not just another text, but it's something that you and encountering it uh, are drawn into prayer and not just getting some info for ammo or something. Yeah. Isn't it fair to say, too, that reading scripture aloud is also an act of spiritual warfare because we are in the midst of our guardian angel, of course, but also whatever is in our neighborhood and the people that have been through our house that are bringing that stuff in. And reading the scriptures, making a proclamation in some senses to what is priority in our home. Yeah, I, I wouldn't, on one hand, I wouldn't over-dramatize spiritual warfare. But on the other hand, I almost would encourage over-dramatizing it because we don't <laughs> think about it at all. <laughs> That's not what comes into our mind, right? So you're right, there's all sorts of stuff going on around us. But I think uh, just attending to the reading of scripture itself without having to maybe think too much about what's going on around us, because we can just say there's spiritual warfare going on around us. Uh, and especially, I think, praying for other people. Here, here's another thing. You ever read scripture and you're like, think about the person that you're reminded of in that passage or something, and it's not you? Am I alone in this? Maybe I'm alone in this. <laughs> Confession time with Father. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that that should be like red light, flag, something. Whoa, something's off. Uh, I need to attend to this inside myself, right? Uh, the reading of Scripture, especially James, talks about Scripture as a mirror, so that we can actually be able to behold ourselves and whether or not we're actually going to actually see ourselves there or, or walk away and forget what we look like. So we do need to, when we, we encounter ourselves own it <laughs> which would be honestly reading anything with fathers that's like the spiritual warfare is the self-knowledge of the not being blinded to your own sins i mean what is, is it saint isaac the syrian or saint ephraim i always get their quotes uh mixed up but that basically someone repenting is a greater miracle than like raising someone from the dead because mm -hmm. there is some like you got something we all have got deep stuff 
ingrained, shackled, you know, rooted in our lives, to be able to actually have that be uprooted and or that doesn't mean it just goes away forever, right? To be on guard about those things, like that is a miracle from God. I think in most of us, we're, we're pretty dead to these things. We know, but we typically fill ourselves with all sorts of other things. We don't, not that we need to be morose or despondent. That's not the idea of repentance or encountering yourself, but it's to actually take joy that there is victory, that there is deliverance, that there is uh, Christ's mercy that is, and showing us ourselves is a mercy to be able to begin the pattern to break out of those patterns and habits but it's something that we can't do like once every two or three weeks right it's got to be something that is a regular uh, theme and habit in our life so according to the faith of god's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness what is what what is what does this phrase mean what, what is going on Paul is a slave and apostle of Jesus Christ because of the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness. So there's one way you could read this because there's a little bit of ambiguity in the Greek, which is always the challenge with translations. Uh, whether he's the apostle who bring God's elect to the faith uh, or that it's according to the teachings of the faith, that according to the faith of God's elect. So like an objective or subjective aspect here. You can kind of read it either way. Could you say that one more time? So there is according to the faith, as in like, say, Jesus Christ is the son of God risen from the dead, mm -hmm. or it's that Paul is a slave uh, according to the like subjective faith of God's elect. That, to like bring them the, their faithfulness. That's why he's a slave and why he's an apostle. Or their status as the elect is proof of his. See, this is where the Greek gets a little vague, and this is also. Terrible. The ESV says, "Apostles just for the sake of the faith of God's elect." I kind of like that translation. The yeah, best. I, the whole thing to me, I'm always remembered. Of course, I always think of Father Gordon. And, I think of these things, his image over and over, the path, the path, the path. I have been sent to help you down the path. Right. You know, and, and we're headed toward eternal life. And so thus, for the sake of you, I've been sent. Is not a bad... I think that's the most, like, they're in commentaries, they debate all back and forth. I would like to go with the ESV on this, for the sake of the faith of God's elect. Because with the acknowledgement of the truth, uh, there comes with that godliness because Christianity, the preaching of Jesus Christ, there's a doctrinal component, right? There's facts, but then also, as we've been talking about this whole time, how do we read scripture, right? Because it's to bring us to godliness. This is especially in the pastoral epistles. This is Paul over the, I mean, I would say this is scripture, period, but especially for Paul, this is also him laying out, because what's the problem in Crete? People who are you got evil beasts, what liars, gluttons, right? Because that's what Cretans are like. Some wild words. <laughs> that's what they say about that's what their own poet says, right? That's Paul says. Well, you've got division in the church. 
because you've got them teaching things uh, and Paul when you have introduced false teaching uh, for in his mind in the mind of the church once false teaching comes in what does that affect godliness because if you mess with the teachings of scripture if you for, this is why all the Christological debates in the early church it wasn't just fine tuning of things to make sure it all made metaphysical sense and it was because if Jesus isn't truly God, then how are we saved? Like, how does this actually work? Like, work for our salvation? Father, are you suggesting there's a connection between the doctrines of the church and you know the, yes. the goodness that we actually perform in the world? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm shocked. A, I'm shocked. <laughs> well, but you, there's a reason why I'm emphasizing oh, we're this. Just here for the mind games. <laughs> <laughs> But this is out, like, what is godliness but in accordance with what the teaching of scripture is? It's not just uh, being nice or being polite or, like, all of these things that are, are virtuous out of a certain sense, but they're not, like, that's not necessarily godly in and of itself. I mean, Chrysostom, you read some of his homilies, he's not nice sometimes. <laughs> he's very pointed. Uh, and today, we're like, oh, you're going somewhere that I don't want you to go. Uh, but there is Paul's concern in sending Titus to set elders in place. Is that there's correct teaching, but there's also that godliness. This is why he's going to go through and say, this is what an elder should be like. Because if he's not like it, how is he going to actually be able to accomplish what he's supposed to do? Chrysostom Wax is very eloquent on this. Yes. Could, could you also read it that Paul is saying the reason you know that and acknowledge the truth that I'm giving you to is because of my godliness? Like, although he's a slave, he's also saying, like, this is the way that you know and you can acknowledge the truth that you're being given that I'm handing down to Titus is because of the godliness that I gave you. Like, the godliness life that I live, that it's true. No, I think the Greek is more in an objective sense about godliness that one attains, but not he's not talking about himself. So let's hit number uh, verse 2 here. In hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began, but has in due time manifested his word through preaching, which was committed to me according to the commandment of God our Savior. So Paul is made a slave and an apostle for the faith of God's elect, for their godliness, because of hope of eternal life, because we serve a God who does not lie. This is a main theme of scripture, actually, that we can trust God, that God who has acted in Jesus Christ and faithful to his own son to raise him from the dead is and what he had in his own the testimony of Israel Meanwhile, yep. the Greek and Roman gods yep. are, are slightly known to bend the truth occasion. That's fair. <laughs> to their own ends. They're, they're yes. capricious. Yeah. They are like... Game of Thrones. Yes. That's a nice way to talk about the Greco-Roman gods. Game of Thrones. And all sorts of other craziness, as I'm starting to remember <laughs> all the escapades of the gods. This is a very different god we have. The god of Jesus Christ, the Father. One of the great things uh, about this is that this is not something that God conduct, uh, cooked up 
because uh oh, humans done messed up. Now we gotta figure something out. But this is this has been the plan the entire time that there is going to be in Jesus Christ uh, salvation, that He's going to give us eternal life. Saint John Chrysostom, uh, as he's reading through this first part of Titus, he talks about uh, Paul's focus here on the mercy of God as basically kind of setting a fire under the faithful. He says, Observe how the introduction is full of the mercies of God, and this whole epistle is especially of the same character, thus exciting the holy man himself and his disciples also to greater exertions. For nothing profits us so much as constantly to remember the mercies of God, whether public or private. And if our hearts are warmed when we receive the favors of our friends, or hear some kind word or deed of theirs, much more shall we be zealous in his service when we see into what dangers we had fallen, and that God has delivered us from them all. So St. John Chrysostom sees here what Paul does in laying out for this, for us all to reflect upon, and especially, I mean, you could just take these three verses, and you could spend a week uh, just contemplating a phrase at a time that before everything God knew what he how he was going to save me God knew me by name and that he's with me in this moment and has known me and will know me that he in due time manifested himself that he is orchestrated in his providence the plan of salvation us gathering here this evening to be able to encounter him uh, through study together, through prayer together, through uh, the word of Paul. So what I encourage you as to read through Titus as we're, uh, especially since it's going to be another month, uh, we are going to keep digging in and uh, seeing that there's a lot here for us to learn not only about ourselves and things that we should be striving for, but also, like at the beginning, I, I don't see any wasted time, even if we didn't talk about Titus for about <coughs> 10 or 15 minutes, for us to discuss some practical things, right? So I do want this to kind of be a Q&A. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, kind of broader pastoral ministry, because once we start talking about elders and what they're supposed to be like, we're going to talk about the priesthood and what, what that is. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, once we get to Titus 2, responsibilities uh, that we have as uh, those who are in the faith towards each other uh, of encouragement, etc. So, any other questions before we, or comments before we close out? All right, let's close with prayer. Lord, now let us thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen the salvation which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to enlighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Amen.